All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. <laughs> I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBonnet. And I'm David Uyoa, and they're here already. They're here already. And you're next. We're here today to talk about uh, yet another, I'm glad that we're making this a, uh, a monthly thing. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping we can keep this going, but we're here to talk about another bonafide Hollywood classic, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. I'm uh, so excited about this. Dude, I um I was completely unaware of the fact that this 1956 version existed. I thought that the 1978 was the original. Like when we started talking about doing this, you were like, okay, should we do the original or like, or what are the remakes? And like, I was thinking of later ones and I was like, what, which ones like 78? You're like, no, there's one before that. I was like, Oh, Holy shit. I had no idea. I thought that that seventies version was a 78 with, uh, you know, Donald Sutherland and all them like that. And was, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Um, Jeff, yeah Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. I mean, it is like, stacked. Oh yeah. I, I thought that was the original. So I was, I was excited to get into this. We also looked at the fact that doing this, um, not only as a classic, but this thing has been made, remade and made so many times. And they're from what we, when we were researching, we found out they're getting ready to do another one. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but I guess when you have a story that kind of hits on such a primal level, uh, it's really easy to keep remaking it because as as long as you hit upon the the larger theme at work here, there's always going to be people to reach. Right. And, and and you could always make it fresh in the same way that it was made fresh in the 70s and again in the 90s and again in the, the late 2000s. Um, you know, I, I'm OK with these remakes. Uh, the only one I think really lives up to the original is, is the, the 1978 remake. But you know, there's there's something about that 90s one, you know, yeah. uh, green screen aside, you know, there's uh, there's something about that 90s one. Uh, can't say I'm a huge fan about the, you know, that 2007 one, the invasion. Yeah, uh, not didn't didn't like that one that much. Um, the ABC show in like the early 2000s tried. I mean, they they tried. It seemed like they had big dreams of it being something, and it just yeah. didn't seem to play out well. Um, one of my favorite remakes of this is one of the ones that's not even a straight up remake. And that's at world's end. I mean, is essentially like, yes. <laughs> is essentially an homage to invasion of the body snatchers. Right. But they, they knocked that one out of the park. Yeah, man. You know, anything, <laughs> anything that, that those guys touch is just gold. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. And, and it's also uh, like a, the, a really good homage to the genre that, 
it's um then it's satirizing as well because Shaun of the Dead is a fantastic zombie movie on top of being really funny. Right. And Hot Fuzz is a really great police thriller. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, those that 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 that's Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Like they they get it, man. Like they understand like how yeah. homage and satire work. But yeah, so like I said, just when we're looking at the remakes of that at, at World at World's End, I think was was a great send up to this movie. Absolutely. Um, so one of the other things that we get with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and it's, it's not the one that kind of um, sparks this, but uh, it is it is definitely one of the movies that I think cements this, which is the the shift in horror from the gothic to the science fiction. And um, and this is something that you see even in Universal Monsters, which were, you know, clearly very, uh, you know, gothic horror. Uh, there's this shift to uh, sci fi in in the 1950s. Um, you, you see it in uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, right. it's it's a little bit more sci fi, a little bit less um, less gothic. Uh, we also see it with things like the incredible shrinking man and, uh, you know, tarantula, you know, the movies where science is somehow at, you know, at fault here, uh, for, for what's going on. So one of the things that happens is I think when, when a movie falls in line with what's going on in that decade, it, it can feel dated sometimes. So, does this movie kind of similar to uh, to the question that I asked with Bride of Frankenstein, does it does it still scare today? Like, is it still uh, something that you would call horror today? And and is it still effective? Uh, I mean, we're talking about almost 70 years later. Is it still an effective horror movie? So, um, like I said, this is my first time seeing this original one. And it's you always, you know, you gotta, you gotta remember the time and place when you go to watch it. But as, as far as it's still being scary, there are some genuinely horrifying moments in this, in this movie, a lot of which stem from this idea of just a whole town being against you, uh, which is a scary thought. Uh, it, it's amazing that you kind of go back and this movie's, pretty special effects light i mean they really mm -hmm. there's not you know they 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 light a pot they light a couple of the pods on fire with a road flare at one time that's really like <laughs> elaborate as special effects get but um they did a good job of creating this really super tense atmosphere that they set from the jump yeah. because we're immediately introduced to the doctor and he's freaking out and the whole thing is his recollection of what happened so you're you're immediately in the shit because even as he's flashing back you know you're you're gonna get to the point where you end up where he's at, in this police station in another Ranting town raving yeah. yeah just just completely lost his mind and what's get one of the things that it does that's so scary is it introduces him like that and then it shows you what he was before he became the raving lunatic and it's like whatever's about to happen is like serious shit because this dude <laughs> is not who opened this movie yeah um and so i think he looks like did, a legitimate doctor he doesn't yeah, look like a crazy person exactly <laughs> so i think they did a lot to 
create this really great atmosphere of never really fully understanding what was going on. Um, being, being scared. You immediately are confronted with these people who aren't acting the right way. The little boy running away from his mom, the girl who's not interacting mm -hmm. with her uncle. And there's something it's, it's really easy to tell why this has become fodder for remakes because there's, there's something innately scary about that. I mean, just what, two weeks ago when we did uh, The Hallow, we talked about changelings. That's a terrifying idea that something could look and behave like your family member, but not be them. And you can't quite put your finger on it. That's scary. No special effects, no actual like alien ships needed. Yeah, I think that that still hits as scary. This had some good intense moments. I think that the message really rings clear on on the fact that this could, you know, that this is a terrifying situation. And I think that this still goes all out. I I agree, you know, and I think a lot of that, the the atmosphere that you mentioned has to do with the fact that Don Siegel, who is, I think, a criminally underrated director. Oh, dude um, made Dirty Harry and Escape from Alcatraz. Like, yeah, I mean, on. come on. <laughs> this guy's this guy's like a, a, a fucking badass. Yeah. You know, um, he made a couple movies with Clint Eastwood and they were all fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, so he he creates an atmosphere here using classic film noir style techniques it's, it's a lot of uh light play you know dark and light and you know the the casting of shadows there's there's high contrast going on here and the really interesting thing is how he's able to make this all seem like a dream and yeah. and and it has a it, few movies have such an authentic dreamlike quality to them as this does there's there's a couple of others that come to mind but what really interests me is that this was never intended to be a flashback movie the uh the sequence at the beginning and the sequence at the end mm -hmm. were filmed after the movie was shot edited and screened for audience interesting yeah the the studio allied artists did not like the rather pessimistic ending it ended with him on the bridge shouting they're here already you're next you're next and that's where it ends right as, as opposed as opposed to the hugely optimistic ending we right. got of him standing yeah, there shaking know, so his head john siegel <laughs> didn't want that ending uh the um uh the the producer of the movie i forget his name he didn't want that ending but the studio insisted upon it and yet even though the movie was not intended to be told in flashback it still has that rather dreamlike quality that flashback movies tend to have sometimes you right. know, you, you, you look back on events and they're not quite exactly the way that they seem, uh, which is why there's there's a couple inconsistencies there where even though he's telling the story, we can see that, um, like, for, for example, uh, like what's going on, like behind closed doors where he clearly. Oh, yeah. Where he wouldn't happen to be able to tell. It yeah. Happened, right? uh, and, and that's why, because it was never intended to be a, you know, a, a POV flashback thing. Okay. So um so that that's like one really interesting quality that I think this movie has which continues to be really effective is it's it's kind of like a nightmare. 
it and, and it feels like a nightmare as it's playing out. And the fact that they can't go to sleep makes yes. this even more of a nightmare, right? Uh, it's very similar to uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, right. that's another movie that has a really dreamlike quality, whether what we're seeing is in the dream world or in the real world. And a lot of that has to do with that meta crossing over that uh, that we know Wes Craven loves so much. Right. right. Um, so I, I do think it's really effective because of that, because dreams still plague us and our dreams oftentimes are timeless. We don't have our dreams set in any one particular time uh a, a knight in shining armor can just as as quickly walk into our dream and and say some random shit like did you put the laundry in and walk away <laughs> as 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 a ufo you comes in and out comes fucking astro from the jetsons right right and our dreams have that that ability to kind of transcend time and and this movie does do that it feels timeless like it very clearly looks like it's set in the 50s but it could very well be today yeah i and that that is the thing you're absolutely right like this movie never felt dated right like mm -hmm. visually you're right obviously this is the 50s but the rest of it didn't feel old like it didn't it didn't feel like it was 70 you know like it just it, so you're, yeah i agree with that 100 percent. yeah yeah and the 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 fear of Losing your humanity is, is I think, a, a very primal thing. It's something that we we're all afraid of, right? You know, uh, getting whether it's getting caught up in in our own lives and forgetting to to actually live, or or whether it's getting swept up in the moment of whatever that moment might be. You know that sort of mob mentality thinking, right? Um, or whether it's falling prey to a movement there's uh, there's there's a lot here that is still relevant today uh you know uh mccarthyism may be an icon of the 50s right but mccarthyism exists in different ways today well and there was i mean there was a line that i that i wrote down like he like he specifically addresses it you know he says i've watched many people um, as their humanity slips away, it just usually happens slowly. It's not yeah, until we have to fight for it. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's not until we have to fight for it that we understand that we were ever losing it. Um, and so it there one of the other things that that's so amazing about this movie is there's this really existential idea of it kind of in two parts. One being this idea of like, well, I mean, you know, is 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 a life worth is a life with no joy, you know, worth mm -hmm. living if it means no pain, no sorrow, that whole thing, right? So, and that's that's a weird thing to ever sit down and try to contemplate because you it's always it's easy when you're in a position where things are, you know, kind of going your way to be like, "Oh no, that's ridiculous." But it's also real easy to think that, you know, we we've all been in a place where if somebody were to be like, yeah, look, you know how everything sucks? What if like nothing sucked again, right? And all you've got to do is go to sleep and you're not going to die, right? Because then it, then it introduces this other concept of, is that still you, right? That's what, that, that's the thing that, that has been like plaguing me, right? It's, it's this whole idea of like, almost like transhumanism um, without mm -hmm. the technology. You know, yeah. if, if you could, if you can create something 
that's 99.9% you. It has all of your memories. You know, it's it's a different body, but it's it's still your body. Like it, it's, but it, it's missing that one piece, like that that one ability to emote is. Is, is, is that what we kind of boil this idea of like the human soul down to, right? And so mm-hmm. while none of these things are just like, it, it, well, and what's great about this is none of these things are just like outwardly addressed in the movie, but it's impossible to not watch it and think about them. Like when you sent me the show sheet today, exactly what I said to you is I was like, there's like this existential angle, but I don't know if it's worthy of like a whole point on the show notes. And I'm not even sure how I'm going to go about. Bre- it's just like a mush in my head. So yeah. there you go. Now, now I've, but, I've, but I've, it is, I've spread the mush. It is something worth discussing because even if we can boil down our um, emotions to, as you said, like a, like a 0.1% right. um, of ourselves – and I think it's a, it's considerably more than 0.1%. Probably. Right? Um, consider when we say, oh, well, I wouldn't have done that in that situation. Right. Let's let's keep it topical. Right. Here we go. Let's go. Here we go. Will, Will Smith slapped the fuck out of Chris Rock <laughs> at the Oscars. Yes, right? he did. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's very easy to say, well, I wouldn't have done that in that moment. Right. right. However, you're saying that without the emotion that Will Smith was feeling at that moment. Right. So we do not behave like our true selves without the emotions that move us to make those actions. It's a, it's a, it's a straw man argument. You know, there's, there's, there's no, uh, there's no argument there because you are not yourself. You are everything that makes you up. Every yeah. bit of you. Um, you know, if if you have some sort of illness, that is part of who you are too. In the same yeah. way where, you know, someone says, oh, you know, uh, uh, hi, my name is so-and-so. What do you do for a living? That's usually one of the first questions we get. Right. right? Uh, why? Because it tells us so much about ourselves in the same way that your reaction says something about you too. Right. And there is no reaction if there's no emotion. And, yeah. and, and and so so I think that the answer to that question is, you know, are you still yourself is quite simple. No, you're not. You are someone else. There's a shadowy reflection of yourself. There you go. And and, yeah. and I think I think that's why people fight so hard to stay awake. That's why people fight so hard not to become one of these pod people, right? Um, everyone's fighting until that change happens. And then it's like, oh, but I didn't realize. Right. Now, now, now all the pain is gone, but but the love is gone too. Yeah. Right? There's there there is there is no love without pain. How do we know that we've experienced love if we haven't experienced um, you know, the, the opposite, if we haven't experienced pain, loss, you know? Um, that's that's the sort of thing that this movie really gets to the center of beyond all the um the the political commentary that's going on here, which we'll get to. I, I, I think you're right in that the the existential part of this, right, the 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 humanistic part of this is why this movie continues to be remade over and over and over again, because something that is overtly political is not interesting outside of the context of the time in which it was made. 
Right. Right. Um, but that's why Charles Dickens continues to be read. It's not because his work like um, Great Expectations or Christmas Carol is overtly political because it is, but it's because it's also overtly humanistic. Yeah. And, and that's, and, and I, well, like when I was done with this movie, like that's, that was what I walked away from it with was I was like, God, man, like for that's, that's what, like you said, like, yeah, it doesn't look like it's old, but you walked away with it, with this feeling of this, this movie could have been, if, if this movie were shot in color, like you could, you know, you could make, you could, you could do a shot for shot remake of this movie. And, and I think it could still be successful. I mean, we've seen plenty of remakes and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. all with little twist spins and stuff like that. But, you know, it was just that part of it was so big. That's why it worked without special effects. That that's why it worked without a lot of backstory. Like what the hell are they? You know, like, like, yeah. you know, you didn't, you didn't need all of that because the, the innate, existential crisis that you're faced with like once you get past the initial shell of just survival like and and you start to peel back those those layers there there's a lot more to it because because there's you know you peel okay i'm just trying to survive you peel that layer back and then you're faced with that idea of well it is kind of surviving right like all of me all my memories all so then you peel that back and you're like yeah but we you know without the emotion ah but without the pain you just keep peeling this movie and it was, it's, it was, that's what got me about it. Like, that's what I think none of these, these remakes have managed to successfully touch. And I'm so happy that I know that this one exists now because yeah. I've seen the others. And now that I kind of get at the root of this, I'm like, yeah, those have been good and done some fun things, but they didn't hit like, that's, that's like a deep raw nerve to get mm -hmm. at. Um, just, just like I said, that idea of, uh, of, of a life without pain. Right. But, and, and cause then it, cause then you, you also run through this idea of it's like, so if you willingly like go to sleep, knowing that's happening, like, is that, you know, is that like suicide? Right. It's like, it's, it's a whole, I would think it is. Yeah. And I think so too. And that's, what's, that's, what's so bizarre about it. Right. It's just, it's, it's so, it's, Ah, I just I loved it. And like I said, it's just been it's just been smashed up in there. I've been thinking about it all day because that was my biggest takeaway from this movie that made it scary and poignant and beautiful. And and we watched this guy slowly lose everything while just trying to hang on to that one thing he has left. Like at, at, by the end of this movie, all he has left is the fact that he is that he still has emotion, that he still yeah. has a soul. His humanity. And, yeah. yeah, it's humanity. That that's it. That's the only thing this man has left and you're what you watch it slowly all getting getting taken from him and it's just it's just incredible. It's something that we've you know we we've talked about horror movies that have done that on different scales for so long and to see it done so simplistically but so beautifully was incredible to me. Can't agree more. <laughs> so when we're looking at, you know, just kind of as this movie comes together and the, the story starts taking place and you've got all these people saying, you know, my uncle's not my uncle. My mom's not my mom. This, I don't know what's going on. I can't even explain it. So we finally get introduced to a psychiatrist. And what he says is that they're having an epidemic of mass hysteria. 
So what we get is what has laid the foundation for plenty of scary movies, horror movies, all of that, which is this uh, this classic tale of paranoia mm-hmm. rooted deeply in what matters at the time, you know, with it, whether it be family or whatever. So is this idea of a mass hysteria, a paranoia that you're not sure if if what's happening is real or not? Like, is, is that still poignant? Does that still scare? I think it does. Um, when you don't know if you can trust your neighbor, that's scary, right? Um, there's, uh, I, I mean, this isn't a new story. Uh, even in 1956, this wasn't a new story. Uh, you've got stories like Fahrenheit 451, stories like Brave New World, 1984, where, uh, at, at the, the heart of the story is what makes us human what what makes us matter and what happens when we lose that and and a lot of that sort of fiction comes about at the um you know the the dawning of the totalitarian government be it uh fascism communism uh any one of the isms right right <laughs> so um that's uh, that's what really people were were afraid of that we're going to lose ourselves in um in this in this ism and and I, I i think that that story of can i trust you i've known you for so long and yet now you don't seem to be who you were before right you've gotten sucked into this thing can i trust you right uh, there's that moment where we finally realize that um is it uh, Dr. Kaufman, the uh, the psychologist? The psychiatrist, yeah. Psychologist, uh, yeah, the psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, he's he's not who Dr. Bennell has thought he's been this entire time. It's like I don't even know you anymore, sort of thing. You know, it's um, it's it's very esoteric, but it is also something that we can we can definitely think about. We all know at least one person who at some point in our relationship, we thought, I don't know you anymore. The right. person that you were, the person that I had this incredible relationship with, that person's gone. And I don't know if that person's ever coming back. And um, and it's possible you're that person. And I think that's that's the really scary thing too. If you're no longer the person that you were before, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right. There's there's because there's lots of change that's good and there's lots of change that's bad. And and I think that this is what this story really gets to is, you know, can you trust the change that's going on in the person next to you or are you the change in the person next to you uh, in the person next to that guy and 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 are the one at fault here? Right. Are you then trying to you know, uh, pass this change on to someone else. I mean, it's, it, it all sounds a little heady and it is, Yeah. but, but I, I think that this is, this is really that sort of like mob mentality, cult mentality that in the 20th century and, and definitely in the 21st century has become pervasive 
where it's a sort of all or nothing thing. Everyone is all in on things now. Yes. You know, uh, you know, you're 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 either all this or you're not. You know, you can't just be a little something. Right. You know, like I'm I I don't know, like I'm I'm all in on animation. I love animated shit. <laughs> Disney right. cartoons, Looney Tunes, I fucking love it all. You throw an anime at me, I'm watching it, right? right. Um you're not hearing me say, well, I don't know. I have to look at that. No, fuck that. Yeah, is, is, is it, is it illustrated? Yeah, I'm in, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's me, you know, and, and I'm, I'm at fault here too, you know, because anything that even remotely looks like heavy metal, I'm going to watch. Right. You know, and, and, um, you know, to keep it kind of sci-fi related here, um, that's, that's kind of a scary thought that we jump so like it, it, it's never we're never playing just the tip. We're always going balls deep. <laughs> 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 and 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 sometimes you you want to wade into the pool. You don't want to just cannonball and 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 completely submerge yourself. But we get so excited. And that's yeah. ki- that's ki- that's kind of like the the human condition is for us to get excited about new things, things that uh, that do in fact excite us, you know. Uh, like, hey, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Cthulhu? You know, <laughs> we 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 want to invite people in on this new thing that we've just discovered, and and that's the scary aspect of it is that sometimes we don't realize until it's much too late that. We're weighing over our heads. And then what do you do? You can't do anything about it at right. that point. It's you're 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 so far deep that the only way to get out of this hole is to keep digging. Yeah. Well, and, and like uh, you know, this to to take it back to that idea of you know being able to trust somebody that you've known uh for so long. I think that in the it, it, when we're talking about does it still scare, like, and you're absolutely right, that's something that's always gonna terrify. And unfortunately, um, over the past, let's 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 just say for the past it's six years, right? Mm-hmm. We've been faced with plenty of opportunities where you have suddenly been face to face with somebody and realized that you didn't really know them, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the truest self shows shows in times of tragedy, and so we've we've become like i said in the past six years we've had so many opportunities um for people to show their truest selves and even if it's not becoming you know a pod person right it's it's just oh okay so that's where your emotions took you and um turns out i don't really know who you are and probably we're not friends anymore right and Mm -hmm. that we're fortunate slash unfortunate enough to have social media where everybody's always shouting all of these things all the time. Right. Uh, And so they can't control it. Yeah, they can't. (laughs) It's just, it's just, it's just there all the time. And so the best thing is it it seems like the dumber they fucking are, the louder (laughs) they shout. Yes. And so you, and so it's, it's not even about what, what's interesting is how, how, short the line is between a movie like this which is can i trust you because you're not actually the person who i knew right like you're actually somebody different and then the line of can i trust you 
because the person I knew wasn't actually you, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, it's, they're, they're, they're mirror images of each other. Whereas in this movie, and you don't know if you can trust your uncle because it's not him. It just seems a lot like him, but it's not him. Whereas, um, you know, uh, uh, if a, a man is lynched in the streets and somebody starts running their mouth about, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever they feel about it and, and somehow it's, it's the person's fault, right? Then you're like, whoa. So it turns out the person that I've known and that I've been associating with for however many years, that was the one that's not actually you. And so now we're face to face with the fact that we can't trust people because we're meeting who they actually are. And that's that's a weird, like, two sides of the same coin type thing that we're faced with with this movie. And like I said, just a very short line to draw between what this was getting across in the 50s and what we're facing now because we're always inundated with this 24-hour news cycle and all these things that are always happening. Like, we, we're just everybody you know uh, opinions and assholes right everybody's got them they all stink and but we're 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 constantly face to face with everybody's asshole like in this situation (laughs) and so and and like that that's that is a really interesting idea of the the idea of can i trust you being ever prevalent but now seeing a mirror image of what this movie produced so it's I, I agree with you 100%. I think that that still scares because whatever the reason may be, you see something like this and realize that tomorrow you could wake up and somebody you've known forever is a different person for one reason or another. And that, that, that hits hard, you know, like especially that kid who it was his mom. Yeah. Right. Or, or the girl that it was her uncle. And she said, he's been a father for me to me since I was a since I was a child, since I was a baby, like that's, that's scary. That's never going to not be scary. Like at the, at the core of everything human is this idea of family and and belonging to a tribe. And when suddenly you're on the outside looking in for one reason or another, that's horrifying. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's the most horrifying aspect of the movie. Um, our uh, our good friend, my friend and yours, Frank Kowalski, uh, welcome back, Frank, uh, says, when I watched this movie for the first time, I watched it with my grandfather. He pointed out how the mass hysteria relates to the Red Scare and how in the 50s he thought everyone was a commie. And we, we are going to get into the, the Red Scare aspect of this uh, because it is a major aspect of this movie, regardless of what... Um, Don Siegel, the director, or Kevin McCarthy, the the, the actor that plays uh, Miles Bennell, uh, despite what they say, I mean, it, the, the DNA is there. And um, you have to view things in context. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the context is certainly there. Um, wh- one of the other things that I want to comment on before we move on from uh, the story is when when the town is finally almost completely turned and all we have is miles and Becky and they're running away and they sound the, the klaxon alarm, right? Yeah. Uh, throughout the town. That is one of the most 
horrifying sounds yes. I have ever heard in a movie. Um, I do believe that the uh, the screech that the the pod people, uh, you know, it kind of emanate whatever it is because it doesn't seem like it comes from like their mouths right uh, it's it's like a guttural thing it's coming from inside of them uh from in uh in the remake is donald quite sutherland. scary <laughs> donald sutherland's <laughs> screech at the end of, of the fuel. movie i mean yes um uh, <laughs> uh what's what's more nightmare fuel the donald sutherland screech at the end or the man dog Oh god, the man dog. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that's horrifying too. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> god, man. Um, that yeah, that that movie is uh I mean it approaches body horror. Yeah. It's, it's fucking crazy that movie. Uh even so, I think that that klaxon alarm uh in in the movie which you know we we all know is is uh you know it's a it's a bomb. It's a bomb alarm, right? You know that's 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 what it was for. It was for for nuclear bombs. You know, go hide in a bunker somewhere. You know, children, get under your desks because that's going to save you from the atomic bomb, right? <laughs> um, that's um, that was horrifying, and it's very different from the kind of alarms that we've heard in in other movies where they they do have to sound, you know, the 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 atomic alarm, but it gives me chills every yeah. time i see this movie the alarm is going off the entire town is giving chase that is one of i think the most hair raising uh i, I mean I'm, I'm getting uh goosebumps right now just thinking about it uh it, it is one of i think the scariest moments in any movie i've ever seen it still manages to scare me and I think that that's that's the sign of a of a really good horror movie when you can watch the scene over again and it still scares you. Yeah. Fuck, that's effective horror. Oh, dude. No, 100 uh, percent. Like it was like I said, it was it it was one of those things where I was prepared to enjoy. I was prepared to enjoy this movie and kind of take it all in. But it, when, when it was all said and done, yeah, the fact that I genuinely was terrified so often in this movie was you, you you get into this place especially guys like us doing this podcast and I, I think we've we've talked about this where you get into this place where you feel like it takes a lot to scare you because you've seen mm -hmm. so much but then you realize that it, it's it's never really about quantity right it's about quality and, yeah. and this movie has got oodles and oodles of of scary quality yeah, and 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 you know, uh, nary a jump scare in sight. Right. It's it's all, it's all atmosphere, and and it's it's that that feeling that you get down in your stomach, of what would I do in that situation? Right. That's 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 I think the the truly terrifying thing is that it makes you think, and and I think uh, any movie that makes you think, uh, depending on your state of mind. Uh, because if it's too late at night, you know, uh, just give me fucking Friday the 13th part four. Like, I just <laughs> right. I just want to watch people die, you know, but uh, but if I'm in a good state of mind and 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 I'm 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 here for it, I'm ready for it. Make me think about the horror, because if you do, oh, man, you'll keep scaring me the rest of the day. Right. And and I think a lot of what uh, contributes to that is both 
the the setting and the people that inhabit this town, right? So Santa Mira is infamous, I guess we could say, in the realm of science fiction horror. Uh, because for uh, for those of us not aware, uh, Elliot Taylor and E.T., lived in Santa Mira. Right. Uh, now, this is a fictional town, but it, it this movie was so influential that plenty of science fiction stories have have drawn their characters into this world. Um, one of my uh, favorite underdog horror movies, uh, The Season of the Witch, right? Halloween 3. Oh, uh, I was like Nick Cage. No, got it. Uh, no, no, three season no. of the witch. Uh, no, and not George Romero's season of the witch either. <laughs> um, which, which is uh, which is actually about witches. Um, no, the uh, the the third Halloween movie, the the redheaded stepchild of the Halloween franchise. Right. Uh, Doctor uh, Dan Chalice, played by the incomparable Tom Atkins. Um, all of this takes place in Santa Mira. This is where uh, where the druids are doing their you know dark science magic uh, with the silver shamrock masks that are going to you know kill all these children on Halloween. It's it's I right there. In that. Santa I just Mira. don't remember that it was Santa Mira. Yeah, yeah, it uh, okay. it is. So like this is the influence that Santa Mira in Invasion of the Body Snatchers has on the science fiction and horror world. Uh, The Dark Tower has, uh, which I've never read, but I found this out today, has uh, one book that takes place in Santa Mira. Oh, well, I I read the first one just a week ago. Well, I I think it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe book number 14 or 37 in the series. Well, by by eight, they're all five books thick anyway. So the numbers don't matter. Um, so these characters, right, that are hunting down Miles and Becky, I mean, they are the ones that really make this city come to life, that really make this story come to life. So um, how does Santa Mira work as a setting for you, right? And how convincing are its residents? So... And I, and I know that part of this is because it just boils down to the fact that it's black and white, right? But I I kept getting, and this is, stick with me here, I kept getting Pleasantville vibes, mm. right? Because absolutely, it's not only that it's just in black and white, but it's also that it's this picturesque town and everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, right? At one point in the beginning, he looks out the window. He's like, yep, there's Dr. So-and-so or, or taking his secretary out to lunch. And here's this person doing that. It's, it's Truman Show-esque, right? Like yeah. you can, you know, he, this town is, is so just satiated in what it is that you can just look out the window and you, everybody you see, you know where they're going because they do the same thing every day because they're all playing a role. And what's weird about that is this idea that he says this before he realizes that they are pod people and they quite literally are just playing roles. And so, you know, you get, so you've got this idea of a town where at first it it took a really long time for people to realize what was happening because everybody is just living a life where they, where they play their part. 
And that was that was Pleasantville, right? Like you stay in your lane and and you do what you're supposed to do. And so, like, I can even see that it, the influence of this on something like that, even if it's not direct, but this idea of the idyllic 50s town. Um, and it's very leave it to beaver. Yeah, there we go. You know, it's just and so it makes such a great setting for this in particular. Because, like I said, there weren't any major changes in anybody's life once they became a pod person because they went from metaphorically playing a role mm-hmm. to literally playing a role. And there is that that scene when they are holed up in his office, in his practice, where they're looking out through the window and they're seeing everyone move. And we know at this point that they're all pod people. And he mentions, this looks like any other day. Yeah. But it isn't until Becky says it's kind of busy for a Saturday that you start to realize shit, they're on the wrong schedule. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Right. That's it's, it, it's, it's terrifying. There, there's an element of that. In it that's terrifying to like the, uh, the, the young punk kid in me who like was like, I'm never going to be in my late thirties and just doing the same routine every day, you know? And now it's like, Oh, time to get up and take a shower and do the same thing that I do every day. Right. And, and there's, you know, so there's, 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 there's that part of it. That's like terrifying to like the young nihilist in me. But then, like I said, there's this, there's this other part of it. That's just so scary that it's like, man, you could live a life that's so mundane and routine that that if you became a pod person no one would even know (laughs) and so i think that i think that this setting of of this town that that like you know we keep drawing comparisons to all these other things it's it's such a perfect area for this to happen because it gives something so simple gives another depth to the scariness um i agree I, um, I, in fact, I have nothing to disagree with. Um, I think one of the things, one of the areas in which this movie is better than the remake is the remake takes place in San Francisco. And, um, I mean, it is much more picturesque, you know, iconic landmarks, um, and it has that added sense of like uh, the stakes are raised because this is now happening in a large city where the the fallout of this would be you know disastrous. However, anyone who's ever been to a small town or lived in a small town, uh, now I'm from Miami, <laughs> not, a, not not a small town, but I've been in many small towns. Uh, my parents used to take uh, my siblings and I on vacation every summer and we'd uh, they had an RV and we would drive through everywhere in the right. country. And so we we would stop in many different small towns. Everyone knew each other. It, it, yeah. it, it there there was there was no hiding from your from your neighbor. You knew the person who owned the corner drugstore, you knew the grocer, you knew the butcher, you knew everyone. Everyone had had a job there and it was really important because without them, I mean, the, the town starts to fail, you know. Um, 
it's also part of what makes this so scary in this iteration of the movie because everyone does know everyone else and when you do know someone that well and you still quite can't figure out whether they're a pod person that's kind of scary and and when you're all looking at each other because it is part of the human condition to be nosy right when I walk down my uh, my street, I'm looking at my neighbor's windows, <laughs> and, and and I don't think I'm I'm a particularly perverted person, uh, yeah, you no. know, just just normal amount of perverted, right? right? Just, you know, socially yeah. acceptable levels of. But perverted. if your windows open, I'm looking in. Why? Oh yeah, I I You're go for runs. And, me. Yeah, it's like I go for runs, and I'm like, oh look, look at what they're watching. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like for example, I know my neighbor's kid fucking loves ice age want to know why because that window's always open and it's on fucking loop oh that's great that's great yeah sometimes i want to go in there and watch with them it's fucking awesome i love yeah. ice age yeah good right? movie. so um that's that's one of the things that i think really works about this the fact that santa mira is a small town and not some huge city like San Francisco. I think that's an element of the horror that works for it because you know everyone, right? Right. There's not a single fucking person that Miles didn't know by name. Yeah. And that's well, that's scary. Right. When you look at San Francisco, it's easy to it's easy to be like, oh, well, if you know, if there were an invasion, you know, and it's the home and the 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 homeless people that are there, it, it would be easy for them to to be different and nobody know because people uh, don't know them on the streets. And so you're right. That idea of everybody knows you and you still got to pass. That's scary. That scene where Miles and Becky and I just spoke about the 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 alarm. Right. But the scene where Miles and Becky come out of his office and they have to pretend to be pod people is absolutely terrifying. Yes. So, so scary. They have to talk to that police officer who he addresses by name, you know, and and then they're walking down the street. And it isn't until, you know, the the dog almost gets run over that, you know, she lets out that that scream that it's like, fuck fuck now they're going to be on to us yeah you know, that's that's these the the people in this town i mean they really are scary and you look at the way that someone like that police chief in the very uh first scene where we meet him in the basement of of uh becky's father's house right becky's father himself i mean yes. that's fucking creepy you know um this i think is part of what makes the movie works so well because we have characters that we're also familiar with who we end up associating with this movie are the people that we know on yeah. a personal level. And, and, and we start questioning how well do I know this person? Take your coworkers, just that one little group of people. How well do you actually know your coworkers? We know the person that they show us at work. Right. But do we know them? What happens behind the closed doors? Right. Are they pod people? You know, they're not pod people, but are they? All right. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and you know that it's it's an it's interesting that 
this movie, that that term, we've used it a hundred times. Pod people, right? That is that is in the zeitgeist. Like the, the idea of pod people is such an ingrained part of the social unconscious now that there are probably people who have used the term pod people knowing using it correctly knowing exactly mm-hmm. what they meant that have no idea what invasion of the body snatchers is and so i mean we, we've kind of been talking about it already but when you're looking at pod people as movie monsters like does that does that make for i mean and i guess we've kind of answered this already but you know does that make for a good movie like when you're when you go to see this when you're just looking at a bunch of normal people who are really kind of doing their best to act normal is that a good movie monster i i think absolutely it is i think that this is in fact one of the most classic movie monsters that you can find because they are us and um as opposed to movies um, like Frankenstein, for example, where we are presented with something that looks like a monster. But when you stop and think about it, in truth, it's people that are the real monsters in the movie. The, the monster in this movie is presented as us. Right. We are those monsters. And, and I think that this is one of the very first movies to take such a critical eye to us we are normally the uh the protagonist we we should identify ourselves as the protagonist and yet i think this movie encourages you to think a little bit outside that box are you dr banel or are you jack belichick yeah are you becky or are you you terry yeah Teddy, yeah, Teddy, um, Morticia, Morticia, <laughs> yeah, earlier, yes, yeah. yes, she is Morticia, um, or would eventually become Morticia, Morticia Adams, uh, 10 years down the road, you know, after yes. she, she and Gomez married, um, yes. yeah, <laughs> uh, I think also the, the fact that we never see this happen on screen, but they do mention it. The fact that your former body disintegrates. That I I loved. I loved that so much because it's like it's like just enough explanation, right? Where yeah. it's like it 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 kind of it, it spawns in your house, you go to sleep, it absorbs everything that you and then you just kind of disintegrate and you go, Yeah, okay. Like but but it's like and it but it wasn't it was not even like not even like sarcastically, it's like Okay, here for that. Good to go. Thank you. I needed I needed that. I needed that three sentences and and I'm here now. Like I get it. Let's go, right? Yeah, you you've you've given us just enough to go off of. Right. So so that we understand what's going on here. And and I think that one of the things that this movie uh did really well is it didn't commit to special effects that it couldn't pull off convincingly. Right. Because the uh the birthing of the pod people looks quite convincing. I yes. think. And and a lot of that has to do with makeup effects because we you know we we get like really it's the actors themselves right with you know copious amounts of plaster and uh you know gelatin and whatever else it is that they put on them and they make them look featureless in that position and the way it's shot and with the light kind of like drowning out a lot of the lines on their face. It's, it's a really effective way of, of doing that, but showing someone disintegrate 
well, that's a different level of special effect that you have to shoot there, right? Um, I mean, we had seen something kind of like that in uh, the horror of Dracula. I don't know if you ever saw the the first of the uh, the Hammer horror Dracula movies. Um, I don't think I've seen that one. I know I've seen I, I've seen a handful of Chris, or one or two Christopher Lee Dracula films, but I just don't know which ones. I'll this this was his first one. And um, Peter Cushing plays Van Helsing in, uh, you know, his in own uh, inimitable way. Yes. And uh, there's this great moment where, you know, he uses some silver candlesticks as a as a crucifix and he kind of stuns Dracula. And then he runs across a table and jumps and he brings down these these shades and it's daylight out and the light just hits Dracula and he starts turning to dust. It doesn't hold up well. It's a great ending, right? But but you you watch you watch it back today, and it's like uh, I wish maybe they had done just the like turning the ash part a little differently, you know. But you do what you can uh, with what you got, and 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 in truth, I mean, it is it is a fantastic ending. But I think the part of the reason why this movie holds up so particularly well is because maybe Don Siegel thought I can't do this, and said. I'm not going to then, <laughs> right. you know, I, I'm not going to try to slap some shit together and end up with a B movie. Yes. Cause this very, I mean, for starters, the budget was slashed. They went from 420 some odd thousand dollar budget to like a $350,000 budget. So we're talking about a considerable amount of money. That's that's right. slashed here. Um, if you're already working with a smaller budget than you already thought, I mean, trim the fat. We don't need to see them turn to ash. But just hearing this, hearing that this is something that happens to you, right? If you weren't convinced before that you die so that right. this new version of you can exist, we're telling you now, you die. This new version <laughs> of you comes in, right? Um, and and this, this is not the first time you hear this before right um if if you want to become a better version of yourself you do in a way have to kill the person you were before right right you have you have to leave all those those negativity uh you know those 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 whatever the bad things are behind and become a different person and the question is is this going to be good for you Right. Or not. Well, know. and it's uh, you know, you were talking about like Frankenstein where you're you're presented with, you know, what is obviously supposed to be the monster, and then we're kind of, you know, we're faced with these other things. I think that another one that that kind of that that this kind of plays with in that aspect is you know the idea of King of King Kong. When you yeah. go back to the the original King Kong, and when it's all said and done, it's like, oh shit, we're the bad guys. <laughs> you know, like, like that's I mean that's, that's that's the logical feeling to have at the end of of King Kong. It's like, ah oh, damn. Like yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was seriously just a big monkey trying to live his life and we fucked that up. So but um in, in this one, you know, there's there there's no sheen to that. It's just like uh, hey, look at this person and what they're what they're kind of like when they're just cold and rational and and that's what you've got to deal with. And so you, you, it makes you again look at the human condition. It's like, whoa, maybe it is more than that 0.1%, right? That's, that's emotion and that makes me me because 
I feel like I'm a whole hell of a lot different than what the cold, unemotional version pod person of me would be. And so by, by making them, again, you get this really introspective thing where you're, you, you, when you, you start to build the pie chart of what makes you, you, and you, you start to, you know, that, that, that emotion and like sense of humor and all of that stuff start to creep in and they're just making a bigger and bigger piece. Because like mm-hmm. you said, what would I do in that situation? I, God willing, I'd act a lot different than these pod people are, even though they constantly are saying, no, it's, we're you, it's you, you you're still you. No, obviously you're not. But the constant uh, affirmation that they are the same people really makes you look at the human condition as the, as the terrifying aspect of this movie, which I think makes the pod people an extraordinarily effective movie monster. And the pod people, what they mean, and this moves into, I think the, the final, uh, the final topic we're going to touch upon before we go into ratings, uh, what the pod people stand for is uh, hotly debated. Is this movie an analogy for McCarthyism and the Red Scare, uh, the paranoia that came along with, um, you know, is is my neighbor a communist, right? Or um, is it about communism itself, where if we are all equal, are we different, right? right. Uh, in in the in the eyes of our government, right? Um, there's such a um, an importance placed on the individual, on the self in in America, right? It's uh, it's it's part of our you know rights here, you know your yes. your individual rights. Um, so that um, and, and I think that these two things can exist at the same time, if you ask me. But uh, you know the the fear of communism and the fear of McCarthyism. Uh, so I guess my question is, what do you think? Are, are we reading into this? Is this just a movie about an invasion of body snatchers or, um, or is there something oh, yes. more to this? <laughs> um, I think that, I think that the use of the phrase like, like this, this mass hysteria and this paranoia, I, and the time when it came out in 56, I think it's just, I think it's impossible to completely turn a blind eye to all of that. And um, again, you know, the discussion we've had so many times in, in what a piece of art becomes when the writer puts the pen down for the last time. Um, I think that whether or not Don Siegel, who, by the way, also made Hell is for Heroes with Steve McQueen. So while while we're talking great movies that he's made, um, God, such a great movie. Bob Newhart's in that too. And, oh, so good. Um, anyway, so I I think that regardless kind of what he says and, and what the actors say, I, I think that there's no way that you can take that away from people. That, that this is how we're that you're going to read into it. Like I, I don't claim to be an expert on McCarthyism or just the way that the whole red scare went down. I actually learned kind I learned a decent amount about how 
brutal that idea of the Red Scare was watching that new uh, Lucy and Desi movie on Amazon with oh, uh, I Javier Bardem. Yeah. And um, like the whole premise of the movie is like really early on. Like it's the news article comes out that says um, Lucy is a communist. And um, and it really there's there's a lot of times through all the things that happen in that movie that it delves in really deep to to how the Red Scare affected mostly Hollywood. But, um, you know, that, that's where it was huge. But I do know that it was it was this whole thing like nationwide. And I think that it's impossible to to remove that. You know, you can't just that that's not that's not just like this one kind of brushle br- bristle on the paintbrush that you can cut out. I think that it's it's interwoven in such a way that if you take that out, you start it, one, I think it's impossible to take it out. But if you were, then I, I think that that a lot of this movie doesn't really make sense. And even if you're not looking at it through that aspect, even if it's not specifically Red Scare, it's just that that's what the movie's about. And it came out during that time. It's I, I don't I don't think it's possible to remove that. I think that it's one of those just kind of like we uh, last week on day of the dead, we talked about like them being like, no, that's not what it's about. You know, it's not about, it's not about Reaganomics and, and no uh, night of the living dead. Isn't about racism. Horse shit. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care yep. if you created it, wrote it, directed it, starred in it. And, and you own the only copy. No one's ever going to tell me that night of the living dead's not about racism. Yeah. Right? I'm going to tell and, you what it's about. Exactly. Mr. That, Writer, sir. That's where I stand with this. Like yeah, no right. one's ever going to convince me that this is not about the red scare because it's, it's inescapable um, down to the fact that, in that scene when um when they when they realize oh it's normal but it's busy for a saturday and then it's like then you just get this thing where everybody just like perfectly like little ants all walk to the town square oh, and so a couple creepy. and a couple of words are said and then they all just you know they all set off doing what they're supposed to do and it's this this hive mind idea of what the the American idea of what made communism terrifying at the time was, was that there was no you, you were just a cog in the machine. And uh, so I I think that it's impossible to remove that and say that that's not what it's about. Yeah, I I agree. And, and I, I also think that um, something can be two things at once. Right. You know Um, the idea that this is anti-McCarthyism, but also, uh, anti-communism, I think, can can coexist uh, be, because I, I <laughs> that's the problem with extremes <laughs> yeah. is is that, I mean, really, they're just the same thing. Um, Only a just deals in absolutes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's to keep it sci fi. Right? Yes. Um, although is Star Wars more sci fi or fantasy? I've always Ooh. thought of it more as fantasy. The space opera. I tend to go fantasy too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's spaceships. There's laser swords and laser rifles. But it was a long time ago. Exactly, it was a long time ago. And they're knights. You know, yeah. they're knights. Um, and um, there's like queens and yeah. princesses. Um, I'm going fantasy here because the if the force ain't magic. <laughs> all right 
And and if uh, if Obi Wan is it, it, like ain't some Gandalf style wizard, I don't know what the fuck he is. There we go. But yeah, I mean, like I said, like and like you know, you can it's if if everything because and and the reason that I bring that up is because when you're only looking at extremes, we've had this conversation in the group chat before. When you say only a Sith deals in absolutes, chief, that's an absolute. Right. Like when you, when you, (laughs) so when you, when you approach an extreme view with an extreme view, you have a hard time understanding that something can be two things. Yeah. And, and, and I think that this movie is that, you know, it, it, it is, it's a condemnation of McCarthyism. And, um, you know, for, for those of us who are maybe aware of the term McCarthyism, but not a hundred percent certain on what McCarthyism is, in the 1950s, you know, the the Cold War was just getting started. Russia was the new bad guy, as it is today, <laughs> and um, it, we we were really afraid that communism was going to uh, get strong footing all over the world, right? The domino effect. You always hear about the domino effect in your American history class, right? It's it's why we went to Korea. It's why we went to Nam. Um, We were afraid that it was going to come here, that the Russians were sending uh, sleeper cells and that they were going to awaken and and take over our local government and then state government and then even on the highest level. And so Senator Joseph McCarthy, fine upstanding senator that he was uh, (laughs) basically decided, Hey, y'all are going to out the people that you think are behaving in un-American ways. Right. And there was the house on American actions committee Mm -hmm. and uh, Hugh act, they called it. And basically everyone was spying on one another and, and, and taking notes and, and very afraid. He created maybe the largest mass hysteria that this country has ever seen. And for me, part of the reason why this movie still works so well today is because very recently we had very similar circumstances where if you were not saying the right thing or wearing the right thing, you were seen as an American. And and that's a really scary thought that I can be called un-American, that I can be called unpatriotic for not believing the same thing that you believe. Yeah. Because is, isn't that part of what makes America so beautiful, that we can have different beliefs? Um, it, it's supposed to be, exactly. And and so I, I do – this is a scathing uh, condemnation of McCarthyism here, I think. You know, because McCarthyism wants us all to fall in line and say America is this. And Miles and Becky represent the opposite of that. Right. Jack and Teddy represent the opposite of that until they turn. Right. But there's also that, I I, I think, condemnation of communism, where when you are living in a truly communist society, you and the person next to you are exactly the same in good ways and in bad ways, right? Because e- equality is a great thing. We always hear about equality as uh, as this like this fantastic thing, right? We all want equal rights. But what happens when to get those equal rights, we have to be exactly the same? 
Right. You know, and 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 that's that's a problem too. So um, I I do see this as condemnation of both because they're both extremes, and it works really well today as well. I think uh, you know w- without getting into the politics of today, I think I think it works really well uh, today. It's still relevant because I'm still afraid of certain people that tell me i'm not patriotic or i'm not or i'm not american if i'm not agreeing with them so but before we move on to to ratings or anything like that i I have a question for you as somebody who's who's seen this movie a couple times there was one really like glaringly odd thing that happened in this movie and it was a conversation with becky do they refer to going to Reno as getting a divorce? Like, or do they refer to getting a divorce as like being in Reno? Like there was this weird conversation, right? About how she came back and she was in Reno. And then she, he goes like, oh yeah, I was there five months ago. I really wanted it to work. And then she's like, I guess we're in the same situation. He goes, yeah, except for now, like you're receiving and I'm giving is being in Reno getting a divorce? Like, what was that conversation? I um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think that that's one of those things where, um, like that that's a time capsule. Yeah, you know, that, <laughs> like those 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 sort of conversations. Um, I always took it to be as like they were two ships passing, you know, uh, in the ocean at night, right didn't even know that the other one was, was right there. You know, their, their whole life has been this series of um, like missed it by that much. It was, you're not alone. Kowalski, I was so confused with the Reno talk too. Was it code? Um, I, I do think that it was partly code. I do think it was code. Um, I don't know about the divorce thing because they do play around later when they're in his house and he says, oh, uh, it's something about, you know, do you always cook for your husband? And then she asks uh, something about his wife. Right. And and he's clearly not married. She's clearly not married. But But when she's first but when his nurse first mentions her, she says, why are you interested? And he says, my interest in married women um, is no more or something like that. So he he seems to reference her as being married before finding out she was in Reno. And now they talk like she's not married. So that, that's, that's, that, that's, that's a good that's, point too. That That's kind of where I was like, okay, so apparent Reno is where divorces happen. Apparently. Yeah. Um, you know, thanks, I, I think. Thanks cat house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this might be one of those things where it's like, um, when when you and I mimic picking up a phone and we do this right <laughs> but the but young, our kids the, but our kids do this but but the younger generation does this right I think it's that sort of thing where it's just like you know when we say hang up the phone and like our you know your students my students even they're like you know uh, what yeah <laughs> what do you mean hang up the phone no you used to actually have to hang the phone back up on the holder it made a noise. That's how people knew how upset you were. Yeah, cling. <laughs> now, don't come at me, you young whippersnapper. 
But yeah, like that was like I said, that was that 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 part of it was that was like the one weird moment for me. There was one other thing that I wanted to make sure it, it wasn't worthy of a whole bullet point or anything. But there is something about the way that movies made in this time were scored that's so fucking cool. Like that majestic. moment, it's yeah, majestic is probably the right mm-hmm. word. Like. That moment when Becky first walks in and we just get like that really cool, like it's almost like a string quartet, just yeah. kind of like playing in the background and it and it and it, it it rises up and it fades through the conversation and it's there the whole time. It lends to that dream element, too, that we talked about at the very beginning. Right. Like this is this is the moment. Right. They're finally back together. But there's that it's that feel. It's the, where all the music is similar, but, you know, it's different but it's just it's that that part of the music in a movie from this time is such like it's that warm blanket feel that i think i've talked about sometimes when it comes to like watching a slasher and getting like the grainy feel like the grindhouse feel the music in a movie made in this time period is just it makes it's like it's so warm and fuzzy and i just love that and like i said the first time it really hit me like during the credits and stuff it's like okay yeah that's old scary music but that 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 music when she first walks in it was like oh god i love that like that is that is just like this untouchable thing about movies made in like the 50s and 60s so just wanted to make sure yeah it's it's that and it's the um the soft focus and uh, and soft lighting that they use for the the female romantic lead. Yes, you know it's um uh, it's it's actually uh, to go back to Morticia Adams. Uh, it's the way Morticia Adams was always lit and shot in the Adams Family show and in the live action movies. Yes, uh, you know uh, Angelica Houston was was shot that way. You get those those close up of her eyes, and it's always soft focus, and the light is very soft lighting, and uh, it's it's one of those like classic Hollywood things that uh, you're right. It is kind of um, it's nostalgic. Yeah, very much, very much like the score. You 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 hear these you know, these, these big sweeping strings and, and the booming horns. And I think that's one of the things that I love about older movies is so many movie scores today sound the same. You know, you, you, you watch a movie trailer and it's always the, that sound that's coming in, you know, every, every now and then, you know, and they all sound the same. It's all, you know, lots of synthesizers uh, and I love synthesizers. Right. But it's, it's lots of synthesizers, lots of loud noises, uh, a hit, a hit hit song in like major scale. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, with, with with the exception of a few guys like um, uh, Michael Giacchino. And uh, I think I said that right. I probably didn't. Um, And uh, and like Hans Zimmer, like you know the fucking right. god uh, that he is. Like v- almost everyone sounds exactly the same, and uh, you know it, it works. But the days of having different sounding scores are gone. And so when you watch a movie like this, the score really does hit you, and it's like, oh man, that's fucking great. Yeah, and like I said, just just that that one particular moment, like it was just I was I was so sold on that 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 obviously not their first meeting, but the first time we see between them, it's just like yeah. that music hits, and you're like, 
oh, okay, yeah, cool. This is this is a romantic scene. Like I'm ready for this, you know. <laughs> so, um, so like I said, just just a couple other things I wanted to also time capsule for this. Gas was 27 cents a gallon in this movie. Hoorah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the the 1950s, um, civil rights hadn't been passed. Uh, women still largely weren't working, but gas was 27 but cents. Gas was 27 cents. I like whenever anybody, whenever anybody's like, ah, I miss the good old days. I'm like, I'm choosing to believe you're only talking about when gas was 27 right. cents and not all of the other things that we just referenced. Like when you talk about like the days when America was great, I'm just going to assume you're just talking about 27 cents a gallon gas. And for right now, that's that's the truest you I need to know at this moment because we work together and I need to have a healthy level of professional respect for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it's, time, it's that time of the show where we have got to rate this movie. So we always like to remind everybody that when we rate a movie, we only rate it against itself. It's not fair to rate a movie from the 50s to something that came out last week. It's not fair to rate a, a sci-fi atmospheric horror like this against a slasher. So we're only rating it against itself, against Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So we like to come up with a unique rating system for every movie. And this one, there was a very short discussion because classic movie, iconic for what it is. You've got to go with the iconic pick on what to rate it on. And so we're going to go out of a five possible seed pods. What do you give Invasion of the Body Snatchers? I mean, this this is a five for me, man. Um, and it's it's not just because it's a classic, because I've seen classics that I, I thought were were highly overrated. Gone with the Wind is one of them, you know, um, and, and Gone with the Wind is not that much, uh, you know, older than than this is. I think this is a really it is that much longer movie. than this is. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about three times as long as this fucking movie. Um, and 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 really, really. Only the first half of that movie is necessary. Yeah, just scratch yeah. the last half of that movie. Yeah, like if you've got the old one that's the two VHSs, just throw just watch the first one. Just yeah, watch just, the just, one. just watch that first one. <laughs> um, you know, man, can you have two more unlikable main characters? It's you're you're hard, hard pressed, hard pressed <laughs> to find two <laughs> least likable main characters than what we were given in Common to Win, Win. but when their daughter dies in that movie and she falls off the horse, she breaks her neck, she fucking dies, right? The the what I, the only thing I could think of was, God, good for her. She doesn't have to deal with her fucking parents anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're just fucking awful. Jeez. Anyway, uh, I mean, there are classics that I think are overrated. There are classics that are not worthy of the title classic. And I think this is. This is classic in every sense. The story works. The characters work. The horror works. It's still scary today when a movie that is 66 years old can be played on your television screen and it scares you and it scares your son. I saw this one with uh, with my son. I, I looked at him. I was like, hey, you can actually watch the movie that we're doing on Shiver this week. You want to watch it with me? He said, yeah, man. So we sat down and we watched this together. And he saw it was in black and white. He was like, is there a color version of this? I said, yeah, but you're not watching that yet. <laughs> yeah, no, um, no, no, that one you can't watch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's fucking terrifying. 
And and I think ultimately that's what a scary movie needs to do. It needs to scare you. And this scares you and it scares you well and it will continue to scare you time and time again. It's a it's a fucking five seed pods for me, man. Yeah. Uh dude, uh nail head, right? Like you you you're absolutely right. This is a five. For me, and uh, I'm also, you know, I'm not a person who's just going to give it a five because it's a classic. But God, it was, it was, it was, it was so good. It was so deep. There was, it, it made me think as much as it scared me, which is nice sometimes. You know, we talk, we, we, we always talk about how it's nice sometimes to watch a Texas Chainsaw and turn your brain off. Yeah. But it's also, but at the same time, it's, you, you know, you do that enough, then it's not, and uh, talking about doing that enough, I watched 10 Friday the 13th movies a week ago. (laughs) Okay. It was nice to have one where I was like, oh shit, there's a lot going on here. Like there are, there are layers, there is atmosphere, there's a smoking hot lead. Like, oh, yes. Just, I mean, just all things considered. I mean, she is, absolutely gorgeous dana winter just stunning just yeah. yeah just just that perfect classic 50s 60s beauty uh, i i mean everybody played their roles well like we talked about the special effects were pushed to the exact right point no further than they had to be and they gave us just enough it's it's absolutely a five for me i this is this is another one man where i was stunned at how much I like this. I expected to like it. I was stunned at how much I liked it. I'm, I'm really glad to, to hear you say that, man, because um, whenever there's a really good remake that is um, special effects heavy and, and highly respected, I think a lot of times people tend to stop there. Right. And they'll be like, okay, well, that's that was really good. I don't need to see the original. And, and and I think there's so much that's that's lost there uh, because even if the original shit, right, and the remake yeah. definitely improved upon the thing, um, you got to see where the inspiration started. And I think that this is one where uh, this is a rare occasion where the remake lives up to the original. Yeah. Um, I I know I'm in the minority here. I prefer this version to the 1978 version. I love the 78 version. Uh, sometimes I opt to watch that one, uh, simply because the cast, like I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So, you know, to, to see Spock in that movie, I'm all in, right. Uh, who isn't a Jeff Goldblum fan? I right. mean, he fucking rocks it there. And Donald Sutherland is just like the fucking man in everything. So, uh, like, I love that movie, but I do think this is the superior movie. And, um, and we we also have a ranking here from Mr. Frank Kowalski. Um, he says, I would give this movie a five out of five seed pods. Thank you for using the appropriate uh, rating system here. I usually don't watch black and white movies, but I was hooked right from the start. Don't sleep on black and white movies, Kowalski. There's some good stuff out there. Look, Kowalski, uh, Dave, Dave is becoming my gateway. Honest to God, <laughs> Dave is becoming my gateway to to the 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 there there's a there's a lot of greatness in black and white films because i'm with you man a lot of times that black and white man but like now i mean we're two for two on the past yeah. black and whites being five out of fives right so uh just stick with us man because we're, we, we we've got a good formula here doing a new one at the beginning of the month and a classic at the end so i doubt this is going to be the last black and white no but uh i 
pressure's on. I got to make sure the next one, uh, you know, <laughs> sticks the landing as well. Uh, Kowalski adds, this movie did scare me a lot when I first watched this movie at nine years old. I thought my brother was a pod person for a while, too. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I never got that from Caden. But then again, you know him better than I do. Maybe he is a pod person. There's also a really good episode of SpongeBob where um, he watches a movie about robots and becomes convinced that Mr. Krabs is a robot. <laughs> so, again, the pervasiveness of this, right? It's the same type of thing. But I, I mean, like that's that that that's how you know synonymous this is with just culture in general now. So, so there you've got it with a five out of five, even with the viewers yep. ranking in. We're hitting a solid five out of five seed pods for the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers released in 1956. If you are listening to us right now on your favorite app like Spotify or iHeartRadio, do us two favors. One, make sure you head over there and give us a rating. I know on Spotify now you can rate podcasts. Anytime you give us a four or five, it's going to move us up that algorithm. But two, if all you're doing is listening, how come you're not watching live? I know this week we were on Tuesdays. Life gets in the way sometimes, mm -hmm. but we are usually on Wednesdays, 9, 8 central. So make sure you check us out. If you're wondering what movie we're going to be doing next, because we actually don't know what movie we're doing next week yet. <laughs> make sure you follow us on all of our social medias at ShiverPod. By this weekend, we'll have an idea. We'll release a schedule for the month of April and the movies that we're going to have coming out. We also, I've been trying to get the interaction going. We've been gaining some followers. We've been gaining some ground. Um, we're trying to keep that social media moving. We're trying to do much more with it. So if you see something you like, make sure you interact. It's going to help keep us on everybody's timelines. Absolutely. And um, you can find all of this at geekbro.net, where you can find all the other Geek Bro Network podcasts, uh, shows like Mount Geek More, shows like What's Up Bro, Seasons of TV Podcast, Kick Flicks, Crimacopia, A Dose of Ellie, Comedy Fitness, and uh, The Undisputed Heavyweight Champion. Better let me tell you. Yes. Uh, with, uh, with my friend and yours, Ish. Um, and we, we got to see when we get him back on. I was about there. to say, we're, we're, we're due, we're due for an ish sighting. Here yeah. Soon. We're, we'll, we're, we'll, we're due for an ish episode. We'll, we'll have to, well, once we make the April calendar ish, if you're listening, we're coming for you. We just got to figure out what movie we'll tell you what April is all about here soon. Yeah. <laughs> also, if you don't forget, if you head to tpublic.com, you do a, a search for geek bro, you can find merch for all of those shows that we just mentioned, including our merch with our great logo that you can find up here in the corner or on Dave's coffee pot there, a coffee pot, coffee mug there. Um, I'd like a coffee pot with the shiver logo on it, though. Last one. Sure. Yeah. Um, you can get stickers, T-shirts, pillows. Neri has like pillows of like the shows he that does. he keeps. They do all of that on T Public. It's all made to order. Um, if you got some friends, sometimes it's worth it to get in as a group because shipping isn't exactly cheap there. But no. we do have some great merch. We've got this amazing logo right up here. So make sure you get your shiver merch over there at T public. You can search for shiver podcast or for geek bro. And then it'll pull up all of the shows that you can find on our network. Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here on shiver, fright you very much.